So Atlanta has offered to um, come and perform one of her stories we've been dying to hear again um, that, uh, from last year. Yeah, yeah. So we're really excited to have her back. Um, she's a public health nerd with a penchant for parasites. She keeps bees and dislikes wasps. By day, she works with engineers without borders, and by night, she tells jokes about her bees to confuse comedy crowds. She's travelled the world working in health education on disease prevention, and she's only contracted malaria twice. Doing amazing. So um, look out for her upcoming Melbourne Fringe show called Parasites Lost, Atlanta. Thank you, friends. Happy Science Week. Well, may we celebrate science this week, but you and I know every week is Science Week. Um, I apologise to those who've heard uh, this story before, but a good story. Hopefully you don't mind hearing twice. I want to talk to you tonight about Mari Stopes. Um, now, she was an amazing woman who uh, contributed a tremendous amount to the recognition of women's reproductive rights. I like to think of her as the woman when I wake up in the morning and think, it's a great day to not be pregnant. <laughs> Mari Stopes contributed to that. Um, now... <laughs> Mari Stopes, she's very close to my heart. Uh, I've spent quite a bit of my life working in health education. I've done a lot of sort of sex ed, talking about contraceptives in various parts of the world. Spent a lot of time in Eastern Africa in front of church congregations doing uh, family planning, talking about various birth control methods. And on more than one occasion, an elderly man will stand up and quote Genesis at me. And he says, in Genesis, God spoke to man and he told him to multiply and fill the earth, and I've been accused of blasphemy, and I've always wanted to say at that point, surely at seven billion, <laughs> God would turn to man and go, tick. <laughs> Job well done. Uh, some solid teamwork there, guys. Excellent. Now, why don't you guys take a break and await further instructions? Mari Stopes, I feel, is the kind of person who would have actually said that. She, she, was, she was a very brave woman. Um, and she... Uh, I'm not going to call her my science hero because while she did a great deal for women's rights, she was also a Jew-hating eugenicist. <laughs> it's not the sort of thing we should just overlook. She, she was born in 1880, and uh, as a girl, she actually went to her parents, and she said this to, to her parents at a very early age, that she was going to spend the first 20 years of her life in science, the second 20 years of her life uh, in social projects, and the third 20 years writing poetry. She had a 60-year plan. <laughs> She makes Stalin and his five-year plan look like an underachievement. Not only that, she pulled it off. That's actually what she did. She's pretty amazing. She wrote 70 books in her lifetime. I will be pleased with myself if I have read 70 books in my lifetime. Um, she completed her PhD in paleobotany in 1904 at the age of 24, and she became the youngest doctor of science in Britain not the youngest female doctor of science, the youngest doctor of science. 
very early on. She researched coal balls and seed ferns. Uh, she was contributing towards, she was hoping to contribute towards Edward Seuss's theory on the existence of Gondwana, the supercontinent, and her work even before she hit her strides in the area that she's actually well known for, made a massive contribution. Now, Stopes was a woman who knew what she wanted when she saw it. And on an expedition in Canada, she met a man called Reginald Gates, and she wanted him. <laughs> Within 48 hours, the two of them were engaged. <laughs> and they got married three months later. But the marriage went from whirlwind romance to disaster in a very short period of time. I can't imagine why. Uh, it turned out that Gates was in fact impotent and Stopes was not pleased with this. <laughs> so she had the, the marriage annulled very early on arguing that the marriage had never been consummated. And uh, look, this changed everything from Stopes. And now I've had a year in which to write a better joke than this and I still haven't. <laughs> Preemptive apology, but Stopes now turned her attention away from coal balls to human balls. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> she became very interested in sex and she went on to explain that she had paid such a terrible price for her own sex ignorance that the knowledge that she gained at such a cost should be placed at the service of humanity. <laughs> and what better way to service humanity, if you will, than to write a sex manual what she did. It was called Married Love and it was about sex and marriage and it promoted birth control and included survey data from hundreds of interviews with women that uh, Murray Stopes had actually undertaken. She, yeah, she did a tremendous amount of research. She finished the sex manual in 1913 but it took five years for her to actually find someone who would publish it. Uh, these were, were very early, very conservative times. What she had to say was extremely controversial. As soon as it was published, it sold out. She sold 2,000 copies of her sex manual in three days. England was ready for sex. <laughs> Perhaps the most controversial thing that the manual noted was, get this, women enjoy having sex. <laughs> they do it not just to please their husbands, not just to produce children, but they too have sex drives. Not only this, but women having sex drives was normal and healthy. That's pretty radical stuff. Um, to quote the manual, uh, so widespread in Anglo-Saxon countries is the view that it is only depraved women who have sexual impulses, that most women would rather die than acknowledge that at times they feel a physical yearning indescribable, but as profound as the hunger for food. <laughs> Am I right, ladies? Uh, the manual also went on to dispel quite a lot of myths about sex that were sort of getting around at the time. One of the myths that it busted was uh, a quite a common belief at the time that when a man uh, becomes hard, that his entire penis is filled to the brim with semen. <laughs> and that if the situation is not dealt with, 
He will suffer an injury. I'm not sure she was very popular with quite a few people after busting that myth. The manual went on to confirm the existence of the female orgasm and husbands, uh, Murray Stopes noted, who had never witnessed this phenomenon, uh, she went on to, to counsel them that man's orgasm is often so uh, quickly achieved that it sometimes precluded women ever achieving theirs. It was voted, this manual, the sex manual was voted in 1933 to be one of the most influential books ever written. Take that Bible. <laughs> uh, Stopes was flooded with thousands of letters from men and women thanking her for her work. Uh, she became a household name. And you know that you're properly famous when there's a schoolyard rhyme about you? Um, last time I did this, I did it with a horrible Cockney accent, and I'm not going to do that to you guys again because I respect you. Uh, but it went, Jeannie, Jeannie, full of hopes, read a book by Mari Stopes, but to judge by her condition, she must have read the wrong edition. <laughs> Making fun of pregnant people, not popular with the crowds. There we go. <laughs> Good to know. Um, the book was mainly aimed at the middle classes because, you know, Stopes was a very middle class person herself and she saw the limitations of this. So Stopes' next mission was to take birth control to the working class. So she had pamphlets printed uh, and had them distributed among the slums in East London. But the project was abandoned after families in the slums told the well-meaning pamphleteers to get lost. Uh, it turns out that the working class was a little bit suspicious of middle class people coming in and telling them that perhaps they should have less children. <laughs> can't, can't imagine why. Uh, as you might imagine, uh, Stopes made enemies with the church who called her work obscene and immoral. Uh, so Stopes did what she did in any situation where she met opposition. She went head on in. Uh, she went to a, the Anglican bishops' congregation. I think there was over 500 bishops at this congregation and she stood in front of them and there's, there's no way to paraphrase what she said, so I'll read you the quote. My lords, I speak to you in the name of God. You are his priests. I am his prophet. I speak to you of the mysteries of men and women. So, yeah, the church, however, has not always taken uh, kindly to those who've declared themselves prophets. Uh, for further information, please see the case of Jesus v. Romans. And uh, it didn't work out well for Stopes either. In fact, both the Anglican and Catholic churches in this time doubled their efforts to make contraceptives and indecent literature illegal. Um, but she, Stopes responded like a true activist. She took a book about the failings of Catholic birth control methods and she chained it to the steps of Westminster Cathedral. 
1921, her and her second husband uh, opened the first birth control clinic in all of the UK, in London. And this was a massively controversial move uh, across America. Birth control clinics at the time were being raided and shut down. Uh, and she gradually built up this network of clinics across Britain, uh, including the first, and I'm probably going to guess the only, horse-drawn con uh, horse birth control caravan for your birth control needs on the go. Uh, Stopes started to build, uh, this was the time that things started to go a little bit pear-shaped. She started to build up a bit of a bad reputation for trialling unsafe birth control techniques uh, on working class women who actually came to her clinics. She was trialling something called the gold pin, which when inserted in the uterus would create a hostile environment and um, basically create sterilisation. And it was creating lots of infections, but she was pushing to continually have this trialled on people. Uh, and she was not, in fact, in any way medically trained. It was the frontier of science at this point in time. And as mentioned before, there's no getting around the fact that, sadly, Stopes was a eugenicist. Uh, she believed that through sterilising the, quote, unquote, inferior, the depraved and the feeble-minded, the race, the human race, could be purified of genetic problems. And she was so devoted to this belief system that when her son brought home his betrothed, who had glasses, she disowned him <laughs> because she didn't want grandchildren who were short-sighted. <laughs> Quite the character. People started distancing themselves from Stopes at this point in time as her anti-Semitism started to make waves. Stopes, in 1939, even sent a copy of her love poetry to Hitler. <laughs> and the cover letter said, Herr Hitler, remember, love is the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> Didn't he know it? Stopes died in 58 at the age of 77 from breast cancer and in the same year of her death, Anglican bishops acknowledged the need for birth control, accepting that procreation was not the sole purpose of a Christian marriage. And I think, I think we struggle uh, to know what to do with characters like Murray Stopes who contributed so much to uh, the cause of birth control and women's rights but had some pretty uh, problematic politics along the way. But I think we can reflect that in 1976, Mari Stopes International, the organisation, was set up. It took over running uh, Mari Stopes clinics across the UK and to this day works in over four, 40 clinics, sorry, 40 countries running over 400 clinics offering uh, contraception and birth control to women all over the world. So hopefully we can reflect on the whole thing and hope that the best of Mari Stopes' legacy has been carried on and hopefully the worst left behind. Thank you very much.